Happy Monday. Welcome to We Healed Together. This is Cordelia. This is part two of a three-part series on healing our childhood sexual shame. So if you missed part one, be sure to go back and check that out and tune in next Monday, which is the day that our new episodes drop. And that is the final part, and that's going to be covering healing. It's really like the healing episode of the series. So this week we are talking about how the following things kind of contribute to some of the shame that was formed. Sex education, sex talk, and policing girls' clothing, as well as the orgasm gap. So I'm excited to get into this. If you don't follow me already, be sure to follow me on Instagram. My account is at codependentrecovery. Okay, let's get healing. to kind of consider and look back and think at 
school, what sex education did you receive? So for me personally, I did not have a sex education class at my school, period. Like there was never a single sexual education class at all. I suspect, at least for American listeners, depending on where you grew up, that you either had an abstinence-only sex sex education class or maybe you were like me, you didn't have one at all. I'm interested kind of to hear what all listeners, you know, I'm frankly unfamiliar with other countries and kind of what sex education other countries have. So I would love to hear from some listeners and learn a little bit about that. But just as we go into this section, kind of think about that. In America, at least, I found some statistics. And of course, everything is in the show notes for where I'm getting these. So you never have to wonder if I'm just making these up. Um, in America, again, since 1982, Congress has funneled more than $2 billion into abstinence-only programs, which withhold critical information about birth control and STIs. And they also tend to use shame and scare tactics to promote abstinence. So in 2010, President Barack Obama did some, he started two small funding streams to basically inject some new pregnancy prevention programs. And the intention and the goal was to support sex ed classes and programs that were backed by science. In February 2018, Title V abstinence-only program, which had expired in September 2017, briefly, was renewed. And It was renewed for two more years at $75 million annually under the new name of Sexual Risk Avoidance Education. So Congress was a little bit tricky, and they eliminated the abstinence education definition, and they replaced it with very similar topics. So they included program must address the advantage of refraining from non-marital sexual activity, the increased likelihood of avoiding poverty by not, you know, engaging in sexual activity as a young person. And then it included that the education would not include demonstrations, stimulations, or distribution of contraceptive devices. So, long story short, they changed the name a little bit, but they're still you know, preaching the same stuff about abstinence only. And additionally, the Trump administration tried to reverse some, basically the Obama's administration's teen program, pregnancy prevention programs I had mentioned. The Trump administration tried to cut $200 million, and then they tried to cause the funding to end in June of 2018 instead of June of 2020. So, thankfully, 81 organizations affected by that moved to sue the Trump administration, and the courts ruled 
the funding cuts were illegal. So the funding is at least went into effect until 2020. The future for future grants, though, the Department of Health and Human Services emphasizes set risk avoidance, and they also removed any reference to LGBTQ youth in their sexual sexuality educational needs. And Trump has also appointed somebody who was the president of an abstinence-only youth advocacy organization as the chief of staff in the Department of Health and Human Services. In 2017, she wrote in an article about the Obama administration's support of comprehensive sex education as him normalizing teen, teen sex. So here's what studies actually show, and I'm putting links to the studies in the podcast. Studies show that quality sex education programs do encourage young people to delay the onset and reduce the frequency of sexual activity, reduce numbers of sexual partners, and increase use of contraceptives. Studies show that sex education that teaches about healthy relationships, consent, and refusal skills help lower young people's risk of experiencing sexual assault while in college. The research found that students who receive formal education about how to say no to sex before age 18 were less likely to experience penetrative sexual assault in college. Students who received refusal skills training, such as learning how to how to say no, also received other forms of sexual education like instruction about birth control, prevention of STDs, and students who did not receive this type of sexual education or training, so abstinence only, did not show significantly reduced experiences of campus sexual assault. For LGBTQ youth, inclusive sex education can be life-saving. Studies show that an inclusive curriculum, including sex education programs, actually creates safer school environments by increasing peer acceptance and decreasing bullying. Inclusive curriculums also promote the health and well-being of the LGBTQ students. And this is pretty significant because for LGBTQ students, they disproportionately are more likely to drop out of school, experience bullying, have mental health issues, and have other adverse outcomes. So, you know, an emphasis basically on inclusive sex education is shown to increase acceptance of those individuals. These studies make sense to me, because if you think about it, you know, how shameful is most sex ed classes? They're teaching people that having sex before marriage is bad. And I found the statistic on that. 95% of people have sex before marriage. And some activities suggest that sex before marriage renders people tainted, worthless, and unwanted. So, I mean, Think about people who are in the class. What if you're in a sexual education class and you've already experienced sexual assault? 
even if you haven't, the messages are still damaging. These messages have lasting consequences, and they really, they can prevent you from reporting abuse. They can affect your self-esteem. They can reinforce gender stereotypes, make um, females or make people in general feel kind of reinforced um, that men have sexual feelings and they can't help themselves and it kind of places responsibility on anyone but men. These programs don't even acknowledge lesbians, gays, bisexuals, transgender. They don't even, they act like they're not even people. And so, I mean, the tremendous amount of shame in that, I I can't even imagine. So I I went through all these statistics because I thought it was important. Number one, because if you are a parent now, you might be thinking, oh, well, it's 2020, so I'm sure my kid is getting sex education at school. And I want you to know these statistics. I find them really alarming. And I thought I would arm you with that information to help you if you're a parent to be inspired to Take matters into your own hand and be sure that you're having talks and discussions with your kid outside of school. Number two, it is 2020. Even if you aren't a parent, this for any human, I think that this is a useful thing to think about because this will help you kind of put into perspective whatever year or decade or years that you were in school. If this is where we are in 2020, where were where were we when you were going through sex education? And I think the statistics really bring that point to its head. I want you to think about some questions on your own. So you don't have to do these right now, but you're welcome to, of course. You can always pause or you can write these down and come back later. I will give you a few moments to think about them if you want. But number one, have you taken sex education classes? What grade did they start in? You know, how many did you have? What topics were covered? Do you feel like you got an adequate education around sex? Why or why not? Think back to the garden that we talked about. What parts do you disagree with? What parts do you want to remove from your garden? In what ways was there kind of lingering trauma for you? I found that sex can be traumatic when you lack education on it. So there is a certain kind of trauma to having sex and not knowing what the heck is going on. What shame are you still carrying from these messages that you were told as a child about sex. Take a few moments and think about these. So the next topic that we're going to tackle is the sex 
So I want you to think about whether you ever had a sex talk when you were a child. Research tells us that kids and teens who have regular conversations with their parents or caregivers about sex and relationships are less likely to take risks with their sexual health and more likely to be healthy and safe. I found some various kind of articles about open-ended questions that are recommended by experts for parents to ask. So some examples are, what do you know about how pregnancy happens? What do you think about the fact that this celebrity photoshopped on the cover of this magazine looks different than they do in real life? How do you feel about this ad for dolls only having pink and, and girls in it? What would you do if somebody you were dating started acting like this character on TV? Being open about body parts, so boys have a penis, girls have a vagina, calling things what they are. Talking about respecting your body, addressing sexuality in the, me- in the media. Talking about masturbation and touch and including that conversation to not shame your child and making it inclusive of girls and females as well. Talking about how babies are made, talking about how sex is beautiful and not making it this dirty topic. And addressing things like safe sex, so pregnancy, STDs, and things like that. When I was young, I mean, the message was very simple. I always received, like, keep your legs closed, don't talk about sex, it's unladylike. Just so much taboo and dirtiness surrounding the topic of sex. Online, I found a pretty interesting article from the Washington Post and I'm just going to read the paragraph. So this is talking about when girls grow up and they're adults, so they're now women. Some felt their mother's silence embedded in them a sense of guilt and discomfort in their own skin. Some felt they weren't worth their mother's time and effort. And some lost faith in their mothers because their mothers weren't able to push through their anxiety to be there for them in ways they needed. Some felt they didn't reach them because they themselves didn't know very much. And some felt resentful that without support, their sexuality couldn't be assimilated into their sense of self like other facets of living could, like intellect, creativity, kindness, or athleticism. I think those bring up really good points. And in this segment, I want you to think about Did you ever have a sex talk? If you did, what was that like? What has stuck with you over the years? If you didn't, what was that like? As a child, looking back on it, what do you feel like you needed to hear? Like, what didn't you hear? What wasn't talked about? And you you realize now, like, 
you know, this part was missing. Take a few moments and think about these things. So we are going to get into now policing girls' clothing. Parents in schools do this all the time. And it teaches girls and it teaches you to be ashamed of your body. There's a certain sense of shame in existing just as a girl in a girl's body. And many examples or many explanations behind this I've found are it's distracting to boys. So it's really teaching girls at a young age that it's their job to make sure that we don't cause men to do things. It, it reminds me of when victims of rape are blamed for being raped. Like they did something to cause a man to act a certain way. A great example of this is school dress code. If that focuses mainly on girls in general. So in preparing for this podcast, I just Googled. I searched dress code school on Google. I clicked on the first result, and it brought me to something called Coast High School, which is in California, apparently. And I'm just going to read you verbatim what this says. CHS prohibits any attire which is disruptive to the educational process, learning environment, or school activities. CHS prohibits clothing which is sexually suggestive, provocative, revealing, or contains suggestive or provocative messages. Examples include bare midriff tops, halter tops, off-the-shoulder tops, spaghetti strap tops that show cleavage, short shorts, low-cut pants, that are revealing or show undergarments, swimwear, tube tops, pajamas or slippers, and muscle shirts. So again, this was just, I googled, clicked on the first result, and as you can see, I mean, arguably the only male clothing mentioned in here is muscle shirts. So dress codes are literally all aimed, most, I should say, are aimed at girls. There's really no reference to boys in them. And, you know, I remember growing up, phrases that I heard in regards to my clothing from my parents as well as from school, show some self-respect. That's too revealing. Don't you have any self-esteem? You're wearing too much makeup. Stop showing off your body. Just message after message about how what I was wearing was somehow tied to my worth as a human being. I found an example from March 2019, and I remember when this went viral. So a mom in Indiana sent a letter, and 
it was to the college student newspaper, and she was voicing her concerns about leggings. And I did put that in the show notes if you're interested in it. But she basically said, you know, these girls, like, wore leggings to church, and her boys, so she has four sons, were distracted by them. She said, snug-fitting leggings and all wearing short-waisted tops were what these girls were wearing or women were wearing. She said, they don't belong in church or anywhere for that matter. Quote, I'm not trying to insult anyone or infringe upon anyone's rights. I'm just a Catholic mother of four sons with a problem that only girls can solve. Leggings. She talks about leggings being naked and form-fitting, so exposing. She said, quote, could you think of the mothers of sons the next time you go shopping and consider choosing jeans instead? She said, I didn't want to see them, but they were unavoidable. How much more difficult for young guys to ignore them. This letter, frankly, infuriates me. It's a great example of shaming. Women are not responsible. Women or girls are not responsible for men or boys. Yet we are constantly policed. You teach girls, society, parents, adults, teach girls that a piece of clothing is what makes them a good person. I mean, maybe focus on raising your sons and raising boys to treat women as people, regardless of how they are dressed. And it's not just the girls and the women that you are doing a disservice. You are also doing a disservice to boys and men because you're teaching them it has to do with the girls' clothes. It removes responsibility from them. So at a young age, they are being taught girls shouldn't be wearing that. And it's distracting to me. And it's the girl's fault. I put a link to another article I found where the author writes about how she remembers the first time she was told what she was wearing was inappropriate. She was 10. And she was told that people could see her nipples through her shirt. She said, It's the kind of shaming that leads to depression, self-hatred, and sexual fear in young women. I put another article where author was sent home from school because her dress didn't meet the fingertip rule. She wrote, we tell women to cover themselves from the male gaze, but we neglect to tell the boys to look at something else. Students who were getting dress coded or disciplined for their attire tended to be girls who were more developed. Another article. Yes, a woman telling a woman she is bad for dressing hot is wrong because it means you're telling her she's bad on the inside, which is wrong because being hot doesn't mean you're good, which leads to teenage girls getting hurt. And another quote, there's a related responsibility that rarely gets talked about. We all have opinion on what our responsibility is as people who are going to be seen. And I'm the last person to argue that I don't have a responsibility as someone who's going to be seen. But have you ever stopped to think about your responsibility as somebody who sees? 
Did you even know you had one? So I loved these quotes. I thought they highlighted some good points. I remember from a young age feeling shamed. I also absolutely agree with women or girls who are more developed tend to be, you know, singled out in discipline in dress code violations. I can tell you that when I got boobs, which again, I have pretty decent sized boobs, I got shame at school. I got shame from my parents just for wearing shirts. Like, you know, somebody else who had smaller boobs for me could be wearing the exact same shirt, and then I would wear it, and I would get in, in trouble. And it just always made me feel like I should be shrinking myself and hiding myself and covering up my boobs. And, you know, it, it just it made me feel ashamed. It made me feel ashamed of who I was as a person. I found some great other examples. Um, a New Jersey school prohibited girls from wearing strapless dresses to a dance. As a compromise, board members said they would allow single strap gowns and clear spaghetti straps. The reason? Some parents said they were told that strapless dresses would be too distracting for boys. A Northern California middle school banned girls from wearing tight pants. Reason? They distract boys. A Minnesota high school went one step further and banned girls from wearing tight pants with short tops. Reason? That look can be highly distracting for other students. A Cincinnati high school asked two girls to leave prom for being inappropriately dressed. Reason? They deemed that dresses were only appropriate if they had no curvature of the breast showing. So, you know, too bad that these girls had breasts, basically. I was thinking about how in my own life, how this even, you know, surpassed my youth, and it shows up still in adult life. People will look at you if you're wearing something and they judge you. Um, as I've mentioned before, I am an attorney and I used to be a prosecutor and in one courtroom I was assigned in, I will never forget this, I like still laugh about this with the co-worker who was assigned to me in that courtroom. The judge, who was another female, so this was a female judge at the bench, passed a note to my co-worker, so another attorney, and told her to give it to my supervisor. And it was, she was complaining about what I was wearing. I was wearing a dress and black tights, and she said the whole courtroom, all the men were staring at me. And, you know, my coworker didn't agree, but she was boxed in and had to give it to my supervisor. And my supervisor didn't agree. It was a dress from Banana Public that went down to my knees. And on top of that, I had on black tights underneath it. And the judge's complaint was that it was a short dress. And her complaint was that men were staring at me. Well, what else could I have done? I was wearing tights. It was a knee-length dress. I am tall. I have long legs. So, you know, I think in general, even when stuff goes to my knees, it 
it does look a little bit shorter, but, you know, here I was almost 30 years old and being told my, my being shamed for wearing a dress, basically. So I want you to just take a few moments and think about what shame you've experienced in this area. Have you ever been shamed for wearing clothes? Go back to your garden. What beliefs do you have about, you know, clothes and how it's tied to your worth? And what do you want to get rid of? thing I wanted or final topic I wanted to touch on was the orgasm gap. According to a 2016 study from the Archive of Sexual Behavior that looked at over 52,000 adults in the United States, including lesbian, gay, and bisexuals, 95% of heterosexual men reported they usually or always orgasm during sex compared to 65% of heterosexual women who were the least likely to orgasm. An expert wrote, which I put in the article, or the article in the show notes, the number one reason for this orgasm gap, and it's not the only one, is our cultural ignorance of the clitoris. Also, there is no dialogue at all being had, obviously, <laughs> in these at school or anywhere, it seems to be, about how men should care about pleasing women. It's like society is being taught that men should only care about getting themselves off. The expert also talked about how we romanticize the simultaneous orgasm and how that is a really tricky, tricky thing that can come into play and and how society has normalized how Basically, sex just is, it stops when a man, when a man orgasms. And, you know, that's, we need to shift that. We need to think differently. Normalizing women's sexual pleasure should be a priority. We should talk about things like women masturbating and how it's not just a male thing. And girls should be taught that having sexual desires are normal and pleasure isn't optional. And girls should be taught that it's okay to speak up and you should speak up if you're not enjoying sex. And their partners should be expected to stop and make changes to be sure that they're enjoying it. So let's wrap up this podcast by hitting some highlights of concepts to take away from today's episode, as well as some healing pointers. So first, 
just some big takeaways. Girls shouldn't be taught that wearing certain clothes or anything is off limits based on the distraction or temptation of boys. You should be able to wear what makes you happy and comfortable. You should not be shamed for merely existing in your body. No human being is less deserving of human worth because of their clothes choices. And a few tips to wrap up today. Welcome your sexuality as it is right now. So let go of any cultural standards. That's just going to be part of the grieving process. And feelings are normal. It's okay if you feel sad about various parts of your childhood and past. But the more that you are aware of contradictory messages about sex, the more power you have to believe them or not. So make a list of everything you like about sex. Make a list of everything you like about your body. And even make a list of things that you've learned in the past that you would like to, to not believe anymore. Practice letting go of the self-critical judgments. Focus on the self-appreciating thoughts. And the final tip for today is look at your exposure to media because it reinforces body self-criticism. It increases body dissatisfaction, negative mood, low self-esteem, and disordered eating. Take stock of what you're absorbing, of what's on your Instagram. What TV are you watching? What movies? What magazines? Think, if I see this, am I going to feel better about myself? If you feel better, then do more of it. If you feel worse, stop doing it. Because if something's making you feel worse about your body, it's going to reinforce and make you live in that shame trap and interfere with you as a sexual human being. So I really appreciate you guys taking this journey with me. I'm so excited to do the final podcast. So check back next week on this series. And that's the healing podcast. So I know I gave you a few tips in this one. But the next podcast episode is really, the whole episode will just be about healing all these different things from our past. There is a new episode every single Monday. So be sure to check it out. Be sure to check out the show notes for more resources. Be sure to follow me on Instagram if you like this content. My page is at Codependent Recovery. And I'm so excited to see you guys next week.